welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today my guest is David Yoon, author of the new novel, City of Orange, about a man who wakes up in an unknown landscape, landscape injured and alone. Harrowing and haunting, but also humorous in the face of the unfathomable, David Yoon's City of Orange is a novel about reassembling the things that make us who we are and finding our way home again. David Yoon is the New York Times bestselling author of Frankly in Love, Super Fake Love Song, and for adult readers, Version Zero in City of Orange. He's a William C. Morris Award finalist and an Asian Pacific American Award for Young Adult Literature Honor Book recipient. He's co-publisher of Joy Revolution, a random house young adult imprint dedicated to love stories starring people of color. He's also co-founder of Universe Media which currently has a first book deal with anonymous content for film and TV development. David grew up in Orange County, California, and now lives in Los Angeles with his wife, novelist Nicola Yoon, and their daughter. David Yoon, thank you so much for coming on A Bookish Home, and congratulations on City of Orange. Oh, thank you so much, and thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, this this book, I'm going to have to be careful not to give too much away, um, <laughs> but I just pretty much devoured it. I... Um, was I was mentioning before we started, I had a bit of a cold and kind of curled up with, with the book and then could not stop reading and stayed up oh too late because I had to know <laughs> what was happening. But I think readers are going to really just find this book fascinating and they'll have a hard time stopping turning the pages. So can you tell listeners a little bit more about City of Orange and kind of the circumstances this character finds himself in when we meet him at the beginning of the book? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, thanks for saying all that too. It's like the one thing that writer, any writer wants to hear is like, I couldn't put it down. <laughs> so, so I'm like, yes. Um, but yeah, the book is, is uh, it's a post-apocalyptic novel, but it's, it's kind of a, of a different sort. It's not your usual like um, fantasy. You know, most, most post, post-apocalyptic novels are, are really a fantasy of kind of wiping the slate clean and, and getting to do whatever you want. It's a fantasy of ultimate agency um, and, and distilling life down to really what you want it to be uh, instead of like your job or school or paying taxes. Um, and this is more of, it's more of a psychological um, and intimate portrait of what happens when your world becomes unrecognizable, you know, and you got to figure out uh, where you are because this guy, you know, this poor guy wakes up, he's got no memory of, of how the world ended. He just knows that it's all done and his wife and daughter are out there somewhere and he needs to find them. Um, and, you know, just as a metaphor, like the apocalypse is, is, and ex- it's sort of a thought experiment. It's like, what if you strip away all social context um, and just kind of drop the character in there and then they have to formulate a new social context and like figure out where they stand in the world, uh, especially when you kind of remove and, and hide the two things that matter most of this character, which are his wife and daughter. Um, how would, how does the character react and how, what, what, what does he do to try to get that context back? You know, the stuff that really matters to him. Yeah. As a reader, it's so interesting because you were constantly guessing sort of along with the character of, what's happened and there's sort of little nuggets along the way that got me kind of got my um, wheels spinning a little bit. I won't give too much (laughs) away, but um, it was just a very satisfying sort of like almost like a little bit of mystery to it too of what's happened. Um, And that got me wondering, you know, 
what did this book start with for you? Was it like the image of this character? Was it like, did you kind of start with really having a sense of what you wanted the plot to be and and the ending? What what did it start Uh, with for you? I mean, it it did start with, um, it has, this book has a really funny origin. It's actually my first novel. Um, so I wrote it before Frankly in Love, before all that. And <clears throat> I was unpublished. And the only thing I'd written prior to that was with short stories. And I was, I was deathly afraid of the novel. I was like, I can't write a novel. That's crazy. And my wife, Nicole Yoon, who wrote Everything, Everything, The Sun is also a star and Instructions for Dancing. Like she's, she, she forced me to do NaNoWriMo, you know, which is oh, National yeah. write, write a Novel Month, right? In November, you try to hit 50K words. I think that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and so she was like, I will single parent our newborn child for a month and you're just going to hole up in the bedroom and morning and night, you know, when you're not working, you're going to work on this novel. And I was like, okay. And I, and I did it. And when I, when I hit that 50 K word mark, I was, my heart was pounding. <laughs> I, felt, I, felt like a mar- <laughs> I felt like a marathon runner. Um, only like the nerdiest marathon runner. <laughs> <laughs> and really it was, it was inspired by, because uh, first of all, the character in this book is, is you know, there's a lot of survivalist stuff in there, like Robinson Crusoe type, just trying to figure out the world and trying to master it. Because the apocalypses are also fantasies of mastery, you know. Uh, in, in a world that's gone wrong, you learn how to just do really well in, in this, in a new landscape. The difference is my character is just kind of bad at it. Um, and- <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't really know what he's doing and messes up a lot. And it's really funny, actually. Like, I wanted to make this book actually funny and not so serious, because I think the apocalypse can also be really, really funny. Um, and that was inspired by the, the fact that me and my wife had just had our baby. And I don't know if you, you have kids, too, so you know this. Um, where, like, your world just shrinks down to a point, like a tiny room. And yep. <laughs> you don't know what the hell you're doing. And you constantly are doubting yourself. And you constantly feel like you're screwing up. And you're going to kill a kid or something and you somehow make it through. And that to me felt like this, it's, it's a kind of quarantine. It's a kind of stripping away all social context. Cause, cause you don't see your friends for a long time. Um, not in any real way. And yet you have this most precious cargo that you need to take care of. Uh, and I was like, Hey, you could see this is kind of its own like weird apocalypse where, Suddenly, everything's stripped away. You know exactly what matters. And what matters, is there's so few things that all this pressure is put on them. And it's up to you to figure out how to survive. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that was kind of the convoluted, weird um, inspiration for the novel. Uh, and everything came from that. It was, it was really fun to explore. Was it difficult? Because that, that is one of the things I, I really liked about it. Having Having two young kids, I really liked sort of the flashbacks or backstory where we're getting to kind of almost care about the character more because we're seeing him as this new dad and and kind of having those sort of universal experiences with a baby and was it hard to figure out sort of like how much how much backstory or flashback to include and and how much to kind of stay in his present state was it hard to kind of figure some of that out yeah it was tricky um the first draft of this novel had had lots of present state. So it's this miserable dude, you know, trapped in a, <laughs> in a dry river. And 
And also the first draft was super deadly serious. I don't know what the hell was wrong with me at the time. But like, <laughs> and I, I read it again and my editor read it and he's like, hey man, you're a funny guy. You should make this funny. And I was like, you're right. Why is it so serious? <laughs> so it's way funnier now. Um, and uh, and the <clears throat> and he also said, you need more backstory because I love falling in love with the main character and his wife and also his friend Byron, who is kind of my comic relief in the story. His It's the main character's best friend and he's a survivalist, um, but he's very bad at it. He thinks he's good at it, but he really is. <laughs> he's not. I do love his character. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of almost steals the show. Um, it's, it's a tough balance though, because the more you do backstory, the more you reveal the larger mythology and mystery of what's actually going on. Um, and so I had to be really careful to kind of feather that to make sure that I didn't give away too much uh, before the big reveal at the end. Yeah. Um, well, you know, your characters do feel um, so real and so, um, I don't know, they feel very unique to me, but also like you can relate to them a lot, uh, especially the main character. And it just got me wondering um, kind of what your process is like for really fleshing out your characters and getting to know them. And Byron, for example, like how, how did you kind of um, figure his character out or the main character? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I know a lot of your listeners um, are writers themselves. And so they probably know the old exercise where you write someone who is exactly like you and write a character who is the, who's a total opposite of you. Um, and write yourself on your worst day and your bat and your your best day and so on, and so it, that kind of never changes really. Like I I write about um, like Byron is an amalgam of all my friends, <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, and he's also kind of like the loose cannon that I wish I could be sometimes. Uh, and same with um, you know that there's the wife and there's also the main character himself and there's also a little boy character who shows up kind of halfway through. Um, and all those characters are, are really drawn from life, but not in any kind of literal auto, auto fictional, gotta hate that word, um, way. It's, it's in a way that you sort of pick and you could mix and match traits and just see how they interact in, in one body. Um, and when you, when it starts to feel good, like when you feel like, Oh, there's a truth here, then follow that thread. And that, that'll lead to, what's the character going to do in a certain situation? Um, so for me, like books always start with characters uh, and it's a little bit like, like programming in a way where you set up the attributes of an object and you give them personality traits and a nice little if then decision tree. And then you drop them in different situations and you see, well, how are they going to react? Um, that to me is, is really interesting because then the, the book just takes on a life of its own. Yeah. Were, were there, um, I guess without giving too much away, was there anything a character did in the book that really surprised you as you were writing, or maybe you thought it was going to take a different direction? Oh yeah. Uh, there's, there's a part where, uh, you know, a, a bird gets killed, um, and, and then eaten. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, huh, what am I doing with this? This is weird. Um, and honestly, it's, it's a, it's a little bit like playing with a Ouija board, you know, uh, you, you're, you're keeping a loose grip. Um, 
you're guiding the story, but also you're letting the guy, the story guide you at the same time. Um, and, and that's, that's when the strangest, most interesting things happen that is basically you're channeling your subconscious, uh, your subconscious, like creative instincts. And, um, my editor actually was the one who explained the crows to me. There's a lot of crows in the book, a lot of birds. And, um, and he was like, I think these represent X, Y, and Z. And I think that's what you're thinking. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Cool, cool. I totally meant that. You know? <laughs> that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> but he was right. He was right. There's, it's, oh. there's a way to write that I like to talk about a lot where you let yourself be um, almost like a kid. You know, kids do things unselfconsciously. And they, they do them without even knowing what they're doing and without, without overthinking it. And, I mean, for all the writers in, in the audience, like, uh, what I like to do is wake up really early sometimes. You can't do it that much because you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy and your spouse. Um, but <laughs> if you get up at like 4, 4.30 in the morning and you just sit down and write, you're, you're half asleep and your inner editor is completely asleep. So all this crazy stuff just comes out in that, in that state of mind. And in, in the bright light of afternoon, later in the day, you'll look at it and you'll be like, I can't believe I wrote that thing. <laughs> That's very cool. And I, I love the metaphor of the um, Ouija board. I'm going to have to think about that sort of like partially controlling and then letting um, the story kind of guide you. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about what your current writing routine is like and, you know, having another writer um, as a spouse, do you like write together? Do you trade pages or do you kind of totally do your own separate projects and then like meet at the end of the day <laughs> <laughs> well yes yes and yes um we uh i mean we get up we feed the child drop the child off at school and then if we're working on our own projects we just go to our separate rooms and we write um we meet up for lunch in the kitchen <laughs> and do we do spelling bee and wordle and then <laughs> and then we retreat back to our our different little rooms and honestly, I, I can only write for about, you know, five or six hours a day before my creative well is, is finished. Um, and for me, it's a rule. It's like you hit you hit your word count or you write for that amount of time. Even if you're not really writing, it still counts because you're thinking about your story. And then really stop and do something else, you know, you know, um, pay the bills uh, or go clean the kitchen or something. Do something really mechanical because you need to let your creative well fill back up on its own, and it takes time. Uh, if you try to push yourself to write, you know, 10 hours a day, it's probably going to suck. So <laughs> like, just be really kind to yourself. And the same rule applies. Like, Nikki and I just happen to be working on a book together, which is really, really exciting. Oh. It's, yeah, it's the first thing that we've authored together. Um, it's a young adult uh, story, and it's pretty different from anything either of us have ever written. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're both in the same shared pages document on Mac and she'll write her chapter. I'll write my chapter and then we'll go back and, and comment on each other's chapters, do track changes, you know? And she likes to say like, she's going to girl up my chapters and I'm going to action, I'm going to action up her chapters. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Is that going to be part of the new imprint or is that something separate? Oh, this is something separate. It's been in the works for a long time. Oh, very cool. Well, can you, I would love to hear more about um, kind of the impetus for 
the new imprint and just kind of what's what's going on with that oh that's uh i joke that we have like four jobs you know i'm working <laughs> i'm working on a book nikki's working on a book we're working on our book together we have joy rev and we have universe media um and so yeah it's been it's been an honor really to to do joy revolution because there's such a um a huge supply of really high quality manuscripts um, written by people of color, starring people of color, which is, you know, that's really our, our mission is to just have specifically young adult romance stories starring people of color. Because when we first met in at Emerson college, you know, in back in 1844, um, <laughs> we were, Nikki and I were in our first writing workshops together and, and we quickly um, realized that we we're both romantic goobers, you know, like we loved rom-coms and we love romances. And then we also, in the course of just talking, we were like, hey, why don't they ever star people that look like us? Like we're always like the sidekick or the lab tech or the, or the you know, the doctor, um, the sonogram technician, but we're never the heroes. Um, and for, for years, we're just working our day jobs and we're unpublished and but we still we're trying to figure out like how can we get encourage more people of color to just write stories that you know in addition to stories about struggle or trauma or injustice you know those stories are really important but it seems to be like those stories are the only stories that we're allowed as people of color um, and obviously there's more to life than than just trauma and injustice there's also joy uh, and love and being silly and stupid and getting into trouble. And we, we always uphold uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle <laughs> as, <laughs> as our kind of like, it's our touchstone. Because there were two two dudes, you know, Korean-American, Indian-American, and all they wanted to do was get high and get burgers. And we were like, yes, more of this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and honestly, like, I, I said this to John Cho, and he was extremely flattered. I'm like, you have no idea how influential you've been to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that, that's so the cool. goal when you read a joy revolution manuscript is it joyful is it a place where you can just relax and not have to worry and have that dread of of suddenly being have this awful stereotype or, or pain or, or trauma being thrust upon you it's just easy breezy you get to just have fun you know those are those are what our books are about that's so great and do you have um like i would imagine do you just have maybe like a particular joy revolution inbox that's just flooded with great manuscripts like that just sounds so much fun to have all of those coming your way or they're sort of like gatekeepers before you see oh, yeah, yeah. what's coming totally. i mean yeah, if we had an inbox we'd be we'd be in huge trouble but fortunately like <laughs> like nikki pitched um barbara marcus who's president of random house kids and she was totally down like she was within a couple weeks we had her full support and so we're working within um, Random House as as an imprint. So we look like this tiny boutique imprint. We have an editor. Her name is Bria Reagan. She's brilliant. She came from Harper. <clears throat> um, so we look like this teeny weeny imprint, but we're attached to you know the the one of the giants in publishing. And so we have all those resources to to play with. And so of course we have a you know your slush pile and everything, and all the submissions do have to be agented. Um, and then Bria feels them before they reach our desk. So we're get we're really getting a lot of high quality stuff. It's an embarrassment of riches. And it That's makes it so really, fun. really tough to choose. But it, there's so much good stuff out there, which is inspiring, really. 
Yeah, it must be fun to get to be on both sides of the publishing process. I feel like that's kind of rare. Yeah, we we do have to do a little bit of separation of church and state. You know, because some of these some of these books we paid a lot of money for, but I don't know how much because I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a writer, I don't want to know that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that leads me to one of my other questions. Um, particularly as you're drafting a book, are you someone that has to read something like completely different, or like what's your reading life like when you're writing? Um, I do have to read something that's pretty different. Otherwise, I'll just start imitating it, you know. Um, I learned this pretty early on when I was a kid. And I would just do free writing a lot before I even knew what free free writing really was. Um, And one time I tried listening to music and writing, and I just started retelling the song. And I was like, okay, this is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So normally when I write, it's like total silence. Um, And I do have have to read like, something complete like a horror novel or nonfiction you know um the the one rule i do have is garbage in garbage out and so i i have to con i have to consume good stuff um and i've i've given myself permission to to abandon things that just aren't for me you know if it's not working or i'm not into it then it's okay you can just drop it and stop stop reading or watching it um, and move on to something that is for you uh, because I feel like that's what what feeds your creative mojo and inspires you. And if you're watching something, even if it's kind of like trashy, guilty pleasure, I really do think that in, in the long run, that kind of tends to steal away from your creative mojo, which I, I, I'm really sort of protective of. That makes sense. Well, I realized, too, I wanted to hear more about you know, the, the fourth job maybe that you have, the universe <laughs> media. Could you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's with anonymous content. They've done amazing work. And Don Olmsted, who's the president, for some reason, she really likes us, uh, really believes in what we're trying to do, which is, you know, it's, it's really related to Joy Revolution, which is just to put more people of color starring on the screen, um, in stories that don't necessarily center on trauma and injustice. Uh, because there's a full breadth of humanity that isn't being expressed in media. Um, there are handfuls of, of projects that you can point to where a black person is just allowed to be a person who is not dealing with racism or, or police uh, brutality or whatever, but it's really few and far between. And we're trying to fill in those gaps. Um, and Hollywood's different. Let me just tell you. <laughs> so, oh, I bet. <laughs> Cause publishing is like very meticulous and, you know, they plan over the course of years and, and Hollywood is just, it's way faster in a way. It's like ideas are being thrown around left and right. And there's a lot of people involved too. Um, like the, the script is just one piece of the puzzle. And then there's tons of like there's directors and producers. And uh, so it's been really, really fascinating to basically learn the ins and outs of that business. Um, but it's also thrilling um, uh, because it's, it's still the same people get, super excited over stories and ideas and that's really all we care about is just stories and ideas and and um it's it's nice to to be surrounded by people who are just as passionate about that stuff as we are because it that doesn't always happen yeah it sounds like um you have a very full and interesting creative life that's very cool all these different hats to wear um <laughs> is there is there talk of trying to 
adapt City of Orange? Um, maybe. I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to keep my eyes peeled because that would be very cool. Well, I always love to just end by hearing what um, authors have been reading lately. Are there any books you've been excited about that you'd want to recommend to listeners? I've I've actually been lucky enough to go on a on this huge streak um, where I read uh, The School for Good Mothers by Jessamyn Chan, which was mind blowing. Um, it's it's almost allegorical without feeling allegorical. I, I read The Thousand Crimes of Ming Su, um, which is a Western, which I'm like, I, I'm not into Westerns. That's by Tom Lin. And it's about this Chinese American gunslinger on a revenge mission uh, during the gold rush period. That's amazing. Amazing. His writing <laughs> is phenomenal. I, I would just put it down and be like, Nikki, listen to this passage. And I would read the passage and she'd be like, who is this guy? Um, and I just finished uh, Mickey Seven by Edward Ashton, and that's going to be uh, adapted by Bong Joon Ho, who did Parasite, starring Robert Pattinson, who we all know from Twilight. Oh um, wow! Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that book was just—it was really snarky and fun. Kind of felt like The Martian, you know, and it, which I love. Yeah. So, oh, nice. Yeah, and it's, it's um, about this guy who's an expendable. He gets cloned on these dangerous um, interstellar uh, colonizing missions. So he gets he gets he killed and reborn again in the end, which is pretty funny. Oh, I'll have to. I'll definitely link to all those and have to check them out. Um, well, I really hope that listeners who haven't picked up City of Orange yet go and grab it from their local bookstore um, or pick it up at their local library. And um, I'm just really excited to see um, all the projects you have in the works and to kind of keep tabs on the the imprint and what comes out of um, Universe Media. And um, I'll be excited to read the upcoming project you have uh, with Nicola. Does that, does that have a name yet or is that still too early? It's a little bit too early. We really haven't announced it formally yet. So, yeah. But there's well, there's so much good news to come um, with the imprint and books and everything. So it's going to be an exciting time. And before the year ends, if not, or next year, if not, if not, if not before the year ends. Definitely. Well, that's um, all very exciting. Well, congratulations again on City of Orange. And thanks so much for taking the time to come on. Thanks so much for having me. It was so much fun. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports a bookish home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.